Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you again today as we continue our series on worship with a discussion around what I would consider to be among the most important tools in the Christ Follower's Toolbox. And that is this, the ability to worship in the storm. Now, certainly our thoughts and minds immediately go to the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, what took place in Florida, a monumental storm that has altered the lives of millions of people. And so, of course, our hearts and our prayers continue to move towards those who are hurting today. And I encourage you to continue to respond to Jesus as he leads you to pray for those. And I think among the questions that comes out during times like that is the question of, well, how would I face such a storm? How would I approach it? Would I approach it with hope or would I approach it with despair? Would I try to offer help and health or maybe I would bring additional hurt and fear to that storm? I think the big question for us is what is my posture towards God when my circumstance is less than ideal, less than I wanted, less than I understand? Now to add some real-time color to this conversation, allow me to take a few moments and bring you into a Cove Church family discussion. Now, if this is the first time you're tuning in with us, I think that's just so awesome. But for just a few moments, you will get to hear the tone with which our church family communicates. Maybe that will be helpful to you. And hopefully you'll also see the connection to today's message. So, Cove Church family, it is no secret or surprise that the last three years has involved a dramatic change at our church. Many dramatic changes, in fact. From helping a church plant to a name change to walking through a pandemic. That has created a unique set of pressures for all of us. But included in church life pressures is the financial component of all of that. And so just as families watch their budgets and income and outflows, churches do the same. And since the beginning of 2022, we have experienced what would add up to a minimum decrease of about 20% in income compared to budget. You can also know that operating that way for nine months adds some additional pressures. We have been on a spending freeze that entire time, doing all we could to tighten our belts while using our reserves, all in hope to be able to continue to field our staff team and not have to impose any additional changes. Our shepherds team and our advisory team have been incredibly helpful, supportive, loving, and wise. And together, we've continued to try to walk out this balance between great faith and great stewardship. That road has led us to making what amounts to a 20% payroll reduction in every department of our church. 
with the exception of the children's department. And the children's department was left out of these reductions as they had just had a 25% staffing reduction back in June. We didn't think it was wise to add this change on top of that one. Now, there's a lot of ways to approach these types of reductions, but through much prayer and discussion, we essentially asked our department supervisors to come back to us with a plan, a plan that made the most sense for the function of their team and for the ministries that they carry out. So each department supervisor offered their proposal for these changes. Our shepherds asked questions about that, worked through the details, and ultimately approved those plans. The way these reductions are expressed is varied through our teams. Some roles are being combined into others, some are hourly reductions, some are creative combinations of the two. In several cases, it involves people moving into what I would term co-vocational life. A fancy way of saying, I have more than one job now. Okay? I've got two jobs. I've got my job here at the church, I got my job somewhere else. And I, I do find this interesting that in the, the new church development circles that I run in, church planting circles, co-vocational leadership is not simply a forced reality, but in a lot of places, it's how leaders strategically want to start their churches. The benefit and the influence being the, the light of Jesus outside just one local church, it's something that many new faith communities are making an essential part of their structure, like we're not gonna change this. See, the, the, the future church is not just about professional ministers, because we're all supposed to be ministers. It's, it's about being ministers, whether I'm at a church, or I'm at a school, or I'm in a coffee shop, or I'm at a construction site, or I'm in an office. So all of this is things that Jesus can use for kingdom good. We know the Apostle Paul was a tent maker on the side. He was co-vocational, so this is a good way to go. And one of those co-vocational changes affects my schedule. As some of you may know, I've been leading the, the church planting or new church development arm of Open Bible Churches in the West. Open Bible is the denomination that Cove Church is a part of. And I've been doing so basically as a side hustle, just a, a side gig. But what will now happen is that side hustle will occupy more of my weekly life allowing Cove Church to reduce its payroll outflows to me. Essentially, it will make it so I'll be doing Cove Church ministry about three days a week and church planting ministry two days a week. I'll slightly reduce my speaking schedule, not much, not really much of a noticeable change, but it will allow me to be elsewhere roughly once a month. And, and when, I, when I'm elsewhere, I'll be out in other churches speaking to our movement about what it could look like to send out new expressions of faith communities. Just like others on our staff, there is a, a working out of the personal budget impacts of all of that. But I want you to know that new church development is a passion for me. And it's something that's always been central to our church culture. So being co-vocational in this way is something that I look forward to. This partnership was fully led by Jesus. I wish I could tell you I came up with this great plan and it all worked out, but this was clearly God's idea. So I'm just going to roll with that. Now, there's another part of this plan that makes the plan function. And it's having a pastor that is full-time in office 
to handle day-to-day events that come up in ministry life. Thankfully, our own Pastor Brandon has agreed to shift into that role, overseeing the staff and the operations of Cove Church as our executive pastor. Pastor Brandon is uniquely gifted and abundantly qualified for that role. He has and continues to be a gift to our church. And I would make that same statement about the Cove Church staff. As you can imagine, these are conversations no one wants to have, especially with people that you care deeply about. And yet what I have heard come out of our team, sometimes through tears, has been, I understand, I know it's hard, I want what's best for this community, I know Jesus will meet me, what can I do to help? And friends, those responses amidst these painful discussions have been nothing short of beautiful. The heart behind all of these changes was to make them in such a way that Cove Church can continue in our mission with as minimal shock to our system as possible. The other part of our approach was to do so in a way that was as loving as possible to every person that it affects. I share this with you because we're learning what it looks like to be a community, to be a family, to be at the table together. See, healthy families don't hide hard things. We don't try to protect some image. We're honest with each other. And, and I know at times some of you have actually said to me throughout the years, if this type of event was happening at our church, I'd want to know. I'd want to know so I can pray and so I can encourage and so I can support. So that is what motivates this conversation. Now, let me tell you what doesn't motivate it. Letting you know this news is not some veiled passive-aggressive way to manipulate you into giving more, okay? (laughs) When we speak of living the generous life that God calls us to, it's always because we want something for you, not because we want something from you. We believe in biblical stewardship because it's part of being a disciple of Jesus, and we don't want any person to miss out on the amazing way that Jesus shows up when we trust him with our finances. That's why we will talk about money. But there is truly no part of this discussion that has behind it some agenda to twist an arm. Say, hey, time to give a little more. That's not in this discussion. Our only agenda is to share this change in our community so that our community can know and pray and love. That's it. Friends, every one of us, as individuals and as families, we have to work out our budgets, what we can afford, what we can't. And people who love Jesus do so on two legs, the legs of the leg of faith and the leg of stewardship. That is how we walk forward. It takes both of those things. And it is my most sincere hope 
that all of these steps will position us to do just that. To not only stabilize us, but to get us where we can revitalize. And we're already seeing the beginnings of that taking place. Uh, I mean, even when it just comes to generosity, we've seen astounding expressions of that at Cove. Uh, gifts this year given to Harvest Offering and Future and Hope Offerings, from, from seeing new espresso machines be able to be purchased, to, to work on our aged roof, and to some amazing projects that will allow us to show an incredible amount of kindness to our community. One of those who, whose construction is going to begin over at the gym very, very soon. The generosity of this house has been wondrous. And, and I would just pause right there to say, thank you. Thank you. I know it's really not about us. It's, it's part of your expression of trust in Jesus, but our church does get to benefit from that. It, it allows us to walk out our mission. So thank you for trusting Jesus with your finances. Not to mention, speaking of amazing things that God is doing, I can't recall a year in our 10-year history where I've seen the frequency of people stepping up and desiring to be baptized in response to meeting Jesus in their life. So many people this year. That is amazing. That is exciting. Additionally, this year we get to field our, our first two pastoral residents uh, because it's funded through a grant from our region. <laughs> it's not from us, it's from a grant. What a gift to us. That gets to happen this year. These are amazing things, and they are just the first fruits. Jesus is just getting started here. So here's the truth for all of us. As Christ followers, we do not engage trials with despair. We engage trials with hope. We worship in the storm. And yes, this feels like a storm for us, but we have also watched God take us through storms in the past and come out the other side, and we know God will take us through this one. So we choose to say, God, you're good. We will remain confident in this. We will see the goodness of the Lord, and we will declare your goodness in the storm. At times, we believe we can only praise God for the testimony we've heard, but in faith, we can praise God for the testimony we haven't heard yet. <laughs> we praise God in the storm. That is how we, as a church family, are approaching this time. And so that concludes the family discussion part of this message. And of course, if you have further questions, uh, myself and Pastor Brandon would be happy to help. But now let's turn to where you live. Knowing that all of us are called to live lives of worship in our relationship with Jesus, one of the obvious obstacles is there will be storms. There will be times when our circumstance does not cause us to want to burst forth in praise. <laughs> amidst that hard thing, amidst those hard days, amidst that hard season, that rock-in-a-hard-place decision, you may find yourself not exactly overflowing with a sonnet of worship to your Creator. 
I mean, sure, you're talking to God, but they're mostly short words, four letters mostly. I've been there. And yet in Psalm 118, we're told this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you read that and you go, really, God? This day? This day you want me to rejoice and be glad in it? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I've had some great days in my life. My, my wedding day, the, the birthdays of my children, the, the, the birthday of my grandson. May the fourth be with you. I've had some great days. But, but there are those other days where we're going, this day, God? This hard day, this awful day, this dreaded day? God, you want me to rejoice in this day? But see, I would argue that if we can learn what it's like to truly worship Jesus in the storm of this day, we can learn what it's like to worship Jesus anywhere. Because when we learn how to, do, how to do that, no circumstance has the power to keep us from loving God. I would also argue that worshiping in the storm is perhaps included among the most honest expressions of worship that we can offer to God for this reason. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve me. Those moments where I say, God, I don't like this but I love you. God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. God, it's really hard to see what you're doing, but even so, I will offer to you today my broken hallelujah. That is when our worship becomes real. It moves way past petty preferences and forms, way past emotionalism and consuming. It refines our hearts. And I would say that one of the fundamental things that we have to overcome in our thinking is this insidious thought that hard things are always bad things. Yet among the most profound truths of Jesus' life is this, really hard things can lead to really great things. The cross of Christ being the prominent example of that. We think often that bad things can only take, bad, bad things can only undo, they can only diminish. But Jesus shows us that with God, bad things can give, they can produce, they can create. So the truth is this. It's not the storms that determine the product of my life. It is my willingness to worship Jesus amidst the storm that determines what my life will produce. So with that in mind, quickly, I'd like to point out some things that are produced as we learn to worship Jesus in the storm. And the first is this. Worshiping Jesus in the storm creates perspective on my suffering. Creates perspective on my suffering. We're going to be at Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Right where you are, let's read it together. Big voices, go. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now let's stop right there. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Other translations say perseverance. That's what suffering produces. This is what is revealed when God asks us to keep going when we're really not sure how to do that. 
when all we can really do is wait and trust. Okay, I'll just keep going. I don't get it, but I'm just going to wait and trust. I will wait on you, God. When we don't see the plan, when things are not that certain, when all we can do is go back to what God said yesterday because we're really not sure what God is saying today. And we've not yet been given a new assignment. So we wait. My, my dad, you know, he was a, a, an army officer in the Vietnam War era. He was a lieutenant, a position that certainly would have placed him in harm's way in Vietnam. Uh, he graduated from, from officer's candidate school, uh, and he was awaiting his orders, like so many, to be sent over to Vietnam. And so he waited, and they didn't come. And so he waited some more, and they didn't come. And he waited some more, and they didn't come. He didn't know why. He didn't know why they weren't coming his way. He just was never sent. He never got orders to go. You can imagine what that waiting felt like, the anxiety, the knowledge of what he was going to be going into, but he just waited and waited, such a high level of anxiety. Talk about uncertainty. He served out his time. He was honorably discharged, settled down with my mom, and had my brother and me. Looking back, I am so grateful for that time of waiting. I'm so grateful for that time of uncertainty. I praise God for that waiting because it was God's sovereign comma. Just wait here. Just take a moment and wait here. I'm going to do something else. For us, as we wait out the storms of our life, we can approach them differently because of this. Waiting on Jesus is always worth the wait. Waiting on Jesus is always worth the wait. Not the least of the benefits being what we see here, that my waiting produces this thing called endurance. It's when we're saying, I don't like this season, God. It's just really not comfortable. It's not even a very nice waiting room where you have me. You know, it's like the waiting room in a tire shop. If you've been to those, a waiting room in a tire shop, there's usually like a counter with a few empty sugar packets. There's an empty popcorn machine. There's four outdated issues of People magazine. That's all you have to read. It's one thing to make me wait, God, but couldn't I wait? somewhere fun? Couldn't I wait somewhere nice? But no, you're going to make me wait here. And that's the point. Endurance is only created through adversity. Endurance is only created through adversity. The ability to stay the course even when it's hard. And we need that ability. The ability to stay close to Jesus and keep following Jesus and keep coming to Jesus at the table, even when everything in my life seems to be screaming at me not to go there. See, I will never run 12 miles until I can push past wanting to stop at two miles, or in my case, like three quarters of a mile. I'll never bench 225 until I push myself to the limit at 135 and someone has to spot me there. This is how we build endurance. We don't let the hard things keep us from the best things. We don't let them keep us from God. This allows me then to wait 
differently. Here's what I mean. My dog Swagger, there are times when he knows he's getting a treat, but we make him wait. Hey, you gotta sit there. You're gonna sit, and you gotta wait while I get it out of the cupboard. And when he's sitting there waiting, man, he is so excited when he's waiting. Oh man, I'm waiting, it's coming. His tail's wagging, he's just so excited. He's just like shaking. He's just so, so excited about the waiting. That's how he waits. Oh, I'm so excited. I look at that and I go, I'm not sure I wait on God like that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm waiting. This is so exciting, God. My tail's wagging. If I had one, I'm not, I don't think that's how I wait. No, no, I, I think it's uh, usually in my waiting, it's far less excitement and far more frustration. Question is, could we learn to wait on God like that? Waiting with an anticipation and excitement waiting in anticipation of God, not sure when the wait will be over, but knowing without a doubt one day it will, and knowing it will be good. This allows us to see the pain differently, that I have a new perspective, that I know without today's struggle, I will not have developed the necessary endurance to experience tomorrow's triumph. So I can endure with my tail wagging. Worshiping Jesus in the storm creates perspective on my suffering. It's the first thing. Here's the second. Worshiping Jesus in the storm creates development in my character. Romans 5 verse 4. Let's continue it. Big voices right where you are. Go. And endurance produces character. See, in Jesus... External challenge can actually produce internal growth. As I wait, as I endure, as I keep following Jesus and keep coming to the table, even when it's hard, those outside battles produce inside victories. It literally builds my character. And I'm almost afraid to use that phrase because it was the go-to of so many parents in my generation and older, right? Do this horrible thing, son, uh, because it builds your character. We've all heard that one. I'm sorry, friends, but canned spinach does not build character. It just doesn't, okay? Can we agree on that? The nutritional value has long been cooked out. You're left with this, this creature from the Black Lagoon kind of seaweed that's on your plate. It's got the texture of like a salted wool sweater, and it tastes as though it's been soaking in lead for the past 30 years. You might get tetanus from that stuff, but not character. Can we just agree on that? But here we see there is something that God builds there's something through which God builds character, and he does it through endurance. Will I stay? Will I remain? That, that, that is the thing that builds our character, this thing called endurance. Staying close to Jesus, following Jesus, sitting at the table with Jesus, believing the best of Jesus, even though I'm in a storm. Enduring may not change my circumstance, but it will definitely change my character. In fact, it makes me bulletproof. Hmm. Since I refuse to let anything keep me from Christ, nothing can keep Christ from working in me. 
because worshiping Jesus in the storm creates development in my character. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Worshiping Jesus in the storm creates the substance of my hope. Let's finish out the passage. Big voices right where you are, go. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what is so amazing about how God uses hard things for good things. That through this process of pressure and trials and uncertainties and difficulties, as we persevere and as our character is changed, here's what happens. God imparts a substance into our lives that over, overshadows anything we may have thought we lost. And that substance is hope. Hope in the form of God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. This is what makes it possible that regardless of what is coming at me, love is what's coming out of me. This is an amazing gift. We can't oversell how incredible this is. That what began as this trial has now been transformed into this hope. What felt like falling back has led to this giant step forward. What felt like a defeat has become a victory. That is our hope. And as one translation says, this is a hope that does not disappoint. <laughs> and the truth is, we could not have gotten to that result without the hardship. I don't know why that is. I just know it is. We couldn't have gotten to that result without the hardship. Often it is through that which is taken away that we finally clearly see what we have. And in the words of Garth Brooks, <laughs> I might have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Worshiping Jesus in the storm creates the substance of my hope. I'll wrap up with this by repeating what I said earlier. Those who love Jesus do not approach trials with despair. We approach trials with hope. This is what Christ followers do. We worship in the storm. We don't wait until we're safely on the other side of the Red Sea to declare the goodness of God, we offer God's praise on this side. We offer praise when there's still an ocean over my right shoulder and an army over my left. It's in that painful place that we declare God is good, where we worship. Regarding the difficult places that you find yourself in today, the pressures and uncertainties that you're feeling right at this moment. Friend, what would it look like to approach those trials in the same way that the three young Hebrew men did in the book of Daniel chapter 3? As they were facing this trial of certain death in a fiery furnace, they said essentially this, our God is certainly able to deliver us from this trial, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will worship only the living God. And 
we will do so in the storm. Could we say the same? Could we worship in our storm? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.